Welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry. Keep the Faith brings you timely messages with in-depth spiritual analysis of current events in light of Bible prophecy so you can prepare for the coming of Jesus. Listen to what the news won't tell you. Here is another important message for our times. This is Pastor Hal Mayer. Dear friends, thank you for joining me today as we look once more at the footprints of prophecy. We are living in the last days and our time on earth is limited. As God's true people get themselves ready for the coming of Christ, they are also getting themselves ready for the difficulties that lie ahead, and Christ promises to do something very special with them. The signs of the times are ominous, and we can see the march of world events leading to the last great crisis. Just the economic situation alone tells us that we should not invest in this world, but in the world to come. Jesus is calling upon us to make our calling and election sure. And thank you for your support for Keep the Faith. It is gratefully acknowledged and is most appreciated. Thank you for your gifts last year to support our work of warning God's people to get ready for the coming of the Lord. God's little CD preachers from Keep the Faith have a strong influence in the lives of thousands upon thousands. Please share your CDs with others. You are free to copy them or request more copies from us if you have friends you wish to send them to. And this year we promise to do all we can to keep you informed with spiritual analysis of current events and prophetic trends. As the massive system designed to remove liberty and replace it with oppression is under construction, we are also at the same time watching the rise of a hidden power that works by stealth to assist in this process. This power is shaping the direction of nations and the maturing of globalization. But it is all leading to a disaster. Not only a national disaster, but a global one. Not only a social disaster, but a spiritual one. That hidden agency wants you to think that it's only just a matter of coincidence that has placed so much power in the hands of a few well-educated men that understand the trajectory of history like almost nobody else. They want you and me to think that it just happened to end up that way by coincidence and that there isn't, wasn't any planning or organization going on behind the scenes. It just happened that way, they say. But that is a lie. Nothing just happens in today's geopolitics. And the Bible confirms that there is a planned and coordinated effort to take control of the planet and the lives of every man, woman, and child. These agencies and organizations have to plan and organize themselves, for they are up against the Holy Spirit and the angelic hosts of light. They have to be powerful if they're going to stand against the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. They have to work secretly and stealthily so that they will not be seen in their true character. The hidden power is here on earth and has been for five centuries. Those men that control this power are gaining more and more strength each day. They work with the rulers of this world to build a gigantic, coordinated structure that will eventually crush out your liberties and control every aspect of your lives. The only people that have an advantage over this incredible and subtle power are those that know and understand Bible prophecy and have clear vision guided by the Holy Spirit. 
Bible prophecy reveals the end result. But in the meantime, we will have to deal with the consequences of this earthly system of control and oppression. If you want to understand what is coming upon the world, the whole world, pay attention to what happened to Greece and Cyprus in recent times. Look at what has happened to Spain, Portugal, and Ireland. Their societies have had a lot of pain while they are being brought under control of the New World Order and its regional affiliate known as the European Union. We can see what is being done to prepare to impose a frightening and inescapable system of spiritual control as well. The powers of earth are doing everything they can to gain control of the globalization process because they know that they cannot control your most important actions unless they put it all in place. And they want you to think that there is no sinister plot to rule the world. They ridicule those who would believe what God's Word actually says. This gives them cover so that people will not be awake to their plans and operations. But before we go any further, let me quickly tell you about our work in Australia. Right now, we're in the middle of a volunteer project to remodel the therapy department of Highwood Health Retreat. There have been many volunteers from many different parts of the world, including the United States, Canada, Malaysia, and of course, Australia and New Zealand, as well as other countries. We are making good progress to give God's work a strong boost at Highwood. We are so thankful for all our volunteers, and I pray that God will bless each one for their sacrifice and devotion. If you are still interested in helping out, you can. Just contact us. We have other projects coming up that will need volunteers as well. Plus, our health retreat also uses a lot of volunteers that love to assist as God works on the hearts of our guests and changes their lives. Also, don't forget to sign up for our e-newsletter if you aren't already receiving it. Contact us through our website at ktfministry.org or email us at info at ktfministry.org. Each free e-newsletter is full of heartwarming stories of how God is changing lives, both through Keep the Faith and through Highwood Health Retreat. Our U.S. phone number is 540-672-3553. Now, before we get into our study, let us ask God's presence as we open His Word. Our Father in Heaven, as we open Your Word today, please send Your Holy Spirit to teach us about our times and our priorities. We need to see the amazing developments that tell us the end is near. We are living in a time of great uncertainty about the future. The world is in turmoil, but You give peace when we are in Your will. Give us your peace today as we study how prophecy is being fulfilled in our time. As we look at some surprising developments, may we recognize the importance of living by faith in Christ and walking in His ways. We must not fear man, so please give us your wisdom, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Friends, the Bible gives us a clear picture of the things that are coming upon the earth and it tells us the sinister principles that are behind it all. As you meditate on God's Word, the Holy Spirit can reveal to you exactly what is coming upon the world and how it will come about. Just meditate on the many stories in the Old Testament in light of the great controversy between Christ and Satan, for example, and you'll see what I mean. That's what Jesus did, 
As he meditated on the truths of Scripture, his father, through the Spirit, opened to his mind the scenes of the future, both his own future and the events right down through the ages to our own time. As a son of God, he was also inspired, and his words have spiritual life if we apply them to our lives. We can study his words and learn even more about God's will for us, as well as the future. Christ gave us prophecies that are astonishingly being fulfilled today. He knew the Bible thoroughly and surrendered his mind to his heavenly Father, and because of this, his Father was able to give him understanding and wisdom. He is our example, and we must do the same. And God will imbue us with His Spirit and open to our minds the things of the future, just as He did with Christ. I'm not saying that we'll be inspired as Christ was or as a prophet is, but we will have wisdom, His understanding, and will be able to share with others the prophetic principles of what will happen in the future. And through Scripture, teach them how to escape the things that, we, that are coming upon the world. In addition, the Bible tells us the reason why these things are being done. It reveals that there is a silent movement to establish the worship of Satan on the whole planet as if he was Christ. For the Bible says that Satan comes as an angel of light in order to deceive. But he also gets human agencies, organizations, and individuals to cooperate with him. And they do the same thing. They pretend to be followers of Christ, even apostolic followers of Christ. But in reality, they are his enemies and are working for other purposes. Paul writes about these people in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 to 15. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 to 15. For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. In other words, Paul is saying that there are those who pretend to represent Christ. They go about doing good works, charities, and even call themselves the Society of Jesus, representing him to the world. They say they are apostolic, meaning that they are loyal to the Pope, whom they claim is the successor to the Apostle Peter. But they are involved in a deceitful work. They use their charitable cover for making themselves like the serpent in the garden. And yes, Paul even says this in the same chapter. Listen to him in verse 3. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Christ was never involved in the complexities of the political world. He never tried to cause social reform or agitate political change. He did not try to gain earthly power. He was the genuine Messiah. He already had power from heaven vested in him. But he has warned us to beware. He says, There will be many that shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, or I am like Christ, and shall deceive many. In our day, this prophecy is being fulfilled. In other words, there will be men who will stoop to stealthy and subtle deceptions to lead the people away from God's true worship. They are interested in political power and influence, and they are gaining it quickly. Could Christ and Paul have been talking about the Jesuits? 
I don't know, but they certainly knew that there would be a deceptive people who would try to act like Christ and pretend to be his followers while working to undermine his truth and draw people away from keeping his law. Perhaps the Holy Spirit put those words in Scripture so that we could understand the forces in play in our time. Remember that every major development in the world is prophesied in Scripture. So the rise to power of the Jesuits should not surprise us at all if we know our Bibles. These verses reveal the subtle, secret hand that is working to guide and control the nations. And it is gaining more power. There's a coalition of well-educated men, and women for that matter, who are in political positions of leadership and responsibility over multitudes of people, over whole nations, over kindreds, tongues, and tribes. Some are heads of state. Some are appointed to run key government departments. No matter which party is in power, they are there to advise and guide the trajectory of the nation. They are on both sides of the political divide. Many of them are in the legislative bodies and judicial councils. Recently, I read a series of astonishing articles in the Australian news sources. <clears throat> Here are some of the things that were written. Quote, it has been a big year for the Jesuit order around the world with election of one of their own, Jorge Bergoglio, from Argentina as Pope Francis. It has also been a big year for the Jesuits in Australian politics, culminating in the election of Jesuit-educated Bill Shorten as leader of the opposition Labour Party. Never before have there been so many Jesuit-educated men at the heart of Australian politics. End quote. These people include Liberal leader and Prime Minister Tony Abbott and the Nationals Party Deputy Leader and Minister for Agriculture Barnaby Joyce, Federal Treasurer Joe Hockey, the Minister for Education, Christopher Pine, as well as Labour leader, Go Whitlam, and the late Don Dunstan, former Premier of South Australia. And the list goes on. I'll read on from the article. The rise of Jesuit-educated politicians in Australia is a remarkable conjunction of political leadership, a situation so rare that it may even be a first in the Western world. The rise of students from these schools is not a fluke, but a consequence of history. End quote. Remember, the Western world is largely Protestant historically. It is astonishing that a formerly Protestant country like Australia, part of the Protestant British heritage, could have such a development, such a conjunction all at once of Jesuit trained political leaders. This has been a work in process for a long time and it is finally coming to the forefront where it can be seen openly. But they want you to think that it just happened that way and that it is mere coincidence. Reading on. The current crop won't be the last conservative leaders from the Catholic GPS system, end quote. Jesuit education gets special attention because of its impact on the abilities of its alumni. They often rise to the top of whatever field they choose for a life calling or to which they're assigned. They more often excel in whatever projects they undertake. So it should not surprise us that Jesuit-educated leaders would find themselves at the top of the political world and wend their way into political appointments and other positions of power. There is a line of thinking promoted by the former J.P. Morgan executive and also former Jesuit seminarian Chris Lowney, 
who identifies a particular Jesuit style of leadership, focusing on personal reflection, spirituality, and hands-on approach. Keep in mind that Jesuit education is some of the best intellectual and motivational education in the world, and it is often at the secondary level where the student is developing his identity and personal mission in life. Jesuit spirituality runs through the educational course from beginning to end. It is these schools that instill a common understanding and a certain mindset that guides the student's future life. <clears throat> this mindset is not easily overthrown. It prepares him to view the trajectory of history so that he can see the long-term goal and how to move in the political or geopolitical realm to achieve it in concert with others who are working in other fields of labor for the same underlying goals. Let me read to you from another article in the Australian Press. The Catholic Order, self-described Soldiers of the Church, prides itself on the rigorous education it provides in its elite schools around the country. The Catholic Order's place in Australian politics should not be overlooked. During the three-way liberal leadership contest between Malcolm Turnbull, Joe Hockey, and Tony Abbott, all three men consulted with Jesuit priests. The Catholic Order has a long history of producing MPs and senators, including former Deputy Prime Minister Tim Fisher and former Victoria Deputy Premier Pat McNamara, end quote. And from the Australian Telegraph, an article says, having taken control of the Vatican, the Catholic Order, whose members are often referred to as God's Marines, have now seized the reins of power in Australia. Tony Abbott was schooled by the brothers. With the election of Bill Shorten, the labor leadership is now also in the hands of the Society of Jesus. Imagine saying that so openly. For those of you who are not Australians, these two men are on opposite sides of the political spectrum. Tony Abbott is the Prime Minister, while Bill Shorten is the opposition leader. And this article was written by a fellow alumnus of the Jesuit schools. I'll read on. So too are the nation's finances now under the charge of students of the Jesuits. End quote. He's talking about the treasurer, Joe Hockey, and finance minister, Matthias Corman. Then the author says... Cabinet has other notable Jesuit-schooled MPs, Christopher Pine and Barnaby Joyce, whom we mentioned before, liberal MPs Kevin Andrews, David Gillespie, and Dan Tehan also belong to the club. In other words, there is a club of Jesuit-trained leaders at the top of Australian politics. It's amazing, isn't it, said one liberal Jesuit, and a non-Jesuit Catholic MP said, they are everywhere. It's worse than Opus Dei. So in other words, the Jesuit-trained leaders even outnumber Opus Dei members. When you think about it, that is actually saying that Opus Dei members are everywhere too, just not as much as the Jesuits. Also, I want you to notice that in those articles, they do not really make a distinction between those that are Jesuit-trained and the Jesuits themselves which suggests that many of the Jesuit-trained leaders are actually Jesuits in disguise. I was astonished at how open these articles are. It is as if they are rejoicing in their good fortune, and while downplaying its significance, they want to let it be known who is now in charge of Australian politics. And it's not just politics. 
An article on the Australian Melbourne Age revealed the following astonishing facts. Writing back in May of this year, the author says, if the coalition wins government in September, its front bench will look like a Jesuit school's reunion, end quote. And they did win, and this statement came true. But the business world was also included in the article. Corporate Jesuit alumni include James Gorman, now chairman and chief executive of multinational securities giant Morgan Stanley. And even older old boy is Melbourne developer Lloyd Williams, who developed Crown Casino and then sold it to the Packers. David Murray, former CEO of Commonwealth Bank and former chairman of the Future Fund, was also Jesuit-educated, as was Macquarie Bank's Nicholas Moore. In other words, it isn't just government finances that have Jesuit-educated men at the helm. It includes some of the banks, at least, and a number of major corporations. According to The Age, the PM, Tony Abbott, and the Treasurer, Joe Hockey, have both credited the Jesuits for developing their confidence and inculcating a desire for them to be a man for others. The opposition leader, Bill Shorten, has made no secret of Jesuit influence in his life. The Jesuit College, I'm quoting him, the Jesuit College, St. Aloysius and St. Ignatius, mottos, born for higher things and do as much as you can, I thoroughly assimilated, he wrote in his autobiography. Hockey also shared Abbott's affection for the Jesuits, said the article. In fact, they share the same spiritual advisor in Emmett Costello, a prominent Sydney Jesuit. Hockey said that a Jesuit education had a profound impact on him. It had measurable impact on my self-esteem, he said. They also taught me the need to earn the rights to lead. I don't think there is any doubt about my affection for the Jesuits, he added. If a man has a strong affection for the Jesuits, he therefore would listen to their advice and even seek their counsel in matters of state, which would give the Jesuits an outsized influence over Australian politics and society. No wonder one of the articles said that the Jesuits have seized power in Australian politics. And while there are many Jesuit-educated people that have not gone into politics, the fact that they are widely dispersed throughout business, commerce, banking, and who knows what other high-level occupations makes it inevitable that some of them would be successful in achieving political access. It also means that many aspects of society are now collaborating with the Jesuits to achieve their goals. And while it may appear that it is business as usual in Australia, when the time comes for a global crisis, the Jesuits will be in position to manage the reaction and encourage government and business leaders to enact laws that will favor global religion under Roman Catholic control. The Jesuit influence in society, now in Australia, is substantial. It appears to have reached critical mass. And all this has happened at a time when the Protestant world has been stripped of its power by the ecumenical movement, with which the Jesuits have had something to do. Remember, one of their primary goals was to undo all that Protestantism has done. No wonder Australia is an important target for Jesuit control. It was once a Protestant nation. This is not the first time Australian politics have been under the influence of the Jesuits, though perhaps it is now the most pervasive. 
Australian Treasurer Joe Hockey observed that more than a quarter of former Prime Minister John Howard's cabinet was Jesuit-educated and recited their names, Brendan Nelson, Peter McGarren, Richard Alston, Tim Fisher, Tony Abbott, and himself, Joe Hockey. I don't think they ever set out to have a particular control of the political process of the coalition party, said Hockey. It just happened that way. Did it really just happen that way? Or was there, in fact, a planned development of the circumstances that would lead to the present broad-based achievement of Jesuit-educated men in Australian politics? Notice that Hockey said that the Jesuits now have control of Australian politics, even though he says it's merely coincidence. It just happened that way. But that is not the evidence of history. Historically, the Jesuits have worked themselves into offices of state and to be counselors and advisors to kings and other rulers. Listen to it from Great Controversy, page 235. Under various disguises, the Jesuits work their way into offices of state, climbing up to be the counselors of kings and shaping the policy of nations. Is that what is happening in Australia today? You bet it is. And there's no way that it could have happened by chance or by coincidence. There's no doubt that Jesuit history was motivated by the desire to control or at least manipulate governments and the political order. Now they appear to be doing it again. Make no mistake about it, the current situation in Australia is very important to the Jesuits' ultimate goals and the goals of the Roman Catholic Church. But it isn't just in Australia where this phenomena is seen. Europe is largely controlled by Jesuit-educated men, too. The following is taken from the Irish Jesuit News website. Readers will have noticed one sign of hope on the European scene a blessed unity of purpose among three of Europe's leaders, Herman Van Rompuy, President of the European Council, Mario Draghi, President of the European Central Bank, and Mario Monti, the new Prime Minister of Italy. Now he's an advisor to the European leaders. In a recent speech, Van Rompuy reminded listeners that all three were educated by the Jesuits. My two technocrat colleagues, he said, share with me an idea of the humane market economy an area where I have always dwelled. They share the global economic vision of Pope Benedict's encyclical Caritas in Veritate. The fact that the Spaniards have just elected another Jesuit alumnus, Mariano Rajoy, as their leader, is stirring the lunatic fringe to talk of a Jesuit takeover of Europe, whatever that means. Notice that the Jesuits make light of the idea that they are guiding Europe behind the scenes, yet they don't deny it. They accuse those who might suggest that Europe is being taken over by the Jesuits as the lunatic fringe. The so-called lunatic fringe, however, is often right. This is the way all who have exposed conspiracies over the years have been treated before the conspiracies came out in the open. Those who know history acknowledge that the Jesuits played a big part in the post-Reformation era and in the dissolution of the French nation during the French Revolution. These are just a couple of well-known examples. The Jesuits have been active in promoting Rome's agenda in governments, churches, and institutions for centuries. But it is deeper than just a mere coincidence of educational background. Nor did it just happen that way. 
It happens that Europe's political machinery is guided by the Bilderberg secret society. The leaders of Europe are not chosen by the people. They are chosen by this secret society. The Bilderberg Organization is a Roman Catholic organization and is dedicated to the gradual resurrection of the Holy Roman Empire, which is in essence the restoration of papal power. Almost all of Europe's leaders are either members of the Bilderberg Society or are involved with it. You cannot be involved in the upper echelons of the European political order unless you are interacting with this organization. Most of them, though not all, are Roman Catholics, and many of these people also have Jesuit training. Listen to how Herman van Rompuy, head of the European Council, describes the Jesuit-trained clique that now runs Europe. I put together my report in very close cooperation with José Manuel Barroso, Jean-Claude Juncker, and Mario Draghi. I don't want to mention Draghi by his first name. That would give the impression that he belongs to our group, which is not the case. Our only connection is that he and I both attended Jesuit schools. That is already great progress, I find. It creates unbreakable ties. Mario Monti also studied with the Jesuits, and Mariano Rojoy as well. There is a Jesuits International. The world has changed. Jose Manuel Barroso trained at Georgetown University, the oldest Jesuit university in America. Mario Draghi was trained at the secondary school in Rome under the Jesuits. And Mario Monti apparently trained under the Jesuits in Milan. And um, Herman Van Rompuy trained under the Jesuits in, in Belgium. Do you think the world has changed under this unseen yet ever-present hand that is secretly guiding the nations of Europe? I do. There's no doubt that the European Union has been largely influenced by the Jesuit order. The Jesuits even have a special office, which has been around since 1956, called the Jesuit European Office, based in Brussels and with branches in some other countries. Their mission is to help rebuild the Holy Roman Empire. That shouldn't surprise you. They want to place the Vatican back in charge of Europe. They work with their personal contacts at all levels of European life to promote the idea of the unity of Europe. And they are working to bring additional nations into the orbit of the European Union. You can be sure that they are quite happy to have such a powerful influence on European social order. Why would the Jesuits want Europe and Australia under their control? Keep in mind that the purpose of the Jesuit order is to help the Pope and the Vatican to regain the power it lost during the Reformation and do it on a global scale. Listen to it from the book Great Controversy. It is amazing how God reveals this to our eyes. This is the very thing the Jesuits don't want. They don't want their real purposes to be exposed, at least up until now. In reality, they are working to overthrow Protestantism everywhere and in every place and put the papacy back in control, not just in Europe, but all over the world. Here's the statement from Great Controversy, page 565 and 566. The Roman Church is far-reaching in her plans and modes of operation. She is employing every device to extend her influence and increase her power in preparation for a fierce and determined conflict to regain control of the world to re-establish persecution, and to undo all that Protestantism has done. Catholicism is gaining ground on every side. 
That's why the Jesuits have risen to power in Australia, a formerly Protestant country. It has been by far-reaching policies and plans and modes of operations. That's why the Jesuits want to restore Europe to rebuild the Holy Roman Empire, including the nations that had become Protestant, especially Germany. And that's why they must get control of America, too. And sure enough, they're gaining more power in America, too. In recent times, we've seen the Jesuit rise of power or Jesuit-trained leaders in America. Obviously, for the most part, most people think that Jesuit training is very good for one's resume. They blindly think that if a Jesuit or a Jesuit-trained individual is in a position of power, it is a very good thing. The Jesuits are rejoicing that the diploma from Georgetown or some other Jesuit university or from a Jesuit high school will have a positive reaction among the people. For years, there have been a growing number of Jesuit-trained senators and representatives in the United States Congress. Catholics in Congress number 156 out of 535 members. That's a total of more than 29%. But of those... 50 of them are Jesuit-trained. That's almost 10% of all Congress. And while that doesn't sound like a lot of power, remember the Jesuits have outsized influence because of their excellent training and intellect. They train their students to have the Jesuit mentality, which is their way of thinking. It is often more effective than that of others. They know how to guide or manipulate Congress or the President or other officials of state. In addition to the U.S. Congress, there have been many Jesuit-trained men and women that have been heads of key government departments, like the Department of Defense, Homeland Security, the State Department, Department of the Treasury, Department of Agriculture, Department of Labor, and many others. Some of them, though only a few, are non-Catholics, but they still have the Jesuit training. Listen to this very interesting statement from Manuscript Release 154, 1899. The time is at hand when a fearful confederacy will be formed, a brotherhood inaugurated by Satan. Unholy human agencies will combine with demon forces, and the whole will be imbued with satanic impulses. Satan has come down with great power, and he is working with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. He is now marshalling the hosts who will be ready to voice his words. Who is like unto the beast, and who is able to make war with him? That's Revelation 13, verse 4. It is interesting that the author refers to the Confederacy as a brotherhood, and it is not a brotherhood dedicated to upholding the truth of God. There is only one brotherhood that has that kind of global system of education and influence, and they are the Jesuits. Keep in mind that the global New World Order system being developed will make it impossible to escape from human control, except by the power of God. Friends, it appears to me that the Jesuit order, and thereby the Catholic Church, is destined to gain control of much of the New World Order, just as the Bible predicts. Just as this system is maturing, there is a simultaneous rise of Jesuits to power through their well-educated alumni, not just in the world of trade, business, commerce, banking, and politics, but also in the Catholic Church, especially with the election of Pope Francis. The enemy is determined to make it impossible for you and me to worship God according to his law. 
Ultimately, that is what the Roman Catholic Church wants to achieve by enforcing its own worship, Sunday worship, on the whole planet. And the Jesuit order is helping the Pope by building their credibility through all that charity work. It is trying to work its way into power in every nation possible. That way the stage will be set for a great crisis that will result in the final global worship laws that we read about in Revelation 13. The enemy wants us to think, and he wants the whole world to think, that he is the one to be worshipped. After all, he pretends to be Christ, the archangel of heaven's courts. He will even personate Christ. Did you know that the crowning act of Satan's deceptions is to personate Christ? Listen to it from Scripture. In Matthew 24, Jesus is speaking of the great tribulation or the great time of trouble near the close of probation. He says in verse 21 to 24, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake those days shall be shortened. Then, or at that time, if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. To deceive the very elect, the deception would have to be very masterful, so much so that without divine insight from prophecy, the faithful followers of Jesus would be deceived. It would have to look so much like the real thing that most people would claim that this is the power of God. In the Garden of Eden, Satan assumed a disguise. He came into a beautiful serpent in order to beguile Eve and get her to distrust and disobey God. Satan can assume other disguises, too. And the Bible says that he can assume the disguise as an angel of light. With dazzling brightness, he can claim to be Christ, and most people will believe him. I'll continue reading from verses 25 and 26. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he, Christ, is in the desert, go not forth. Or behold, he, Christ, is in the secret chambers, believe it not. And Luke 17.23 says, And they shall say to you, See here, or see there, go not after them, nor follow them. So these verses are saying that someone is going to claim to be Christ and will deceive many. And he will appear in several places of the earth, perhaps in quick succession. The Bible is telling us that this deceiver will take on the disguise of a bright angel of light and will easily get people to believe that he is Christ. He will do miracles and will probably work very closely with the Pope, who will likely proclaim that this dazzling being is Christ and that the whole world must worship him. They will say that the Sabbath has been changed to Sunday and all must come into line with the new religion. All this the archenemy of Christ himself will do. Satan will get the whole world to accept himself as Christ. This is what he wanted in heaven, and this is why he bent every effort to get the angels of God to believe his lies about God and about Christ. And once again he's going to bend every effort to deceive even the followers of Christ by making his impersonation of Christ almost like the real thing. But verse 27 gives us the key that reveals how to tell the difference between Christ and the counterfeit. 
For as the lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. In other words, Satan will not be permitted to come in the clouds of glory. He already has many people deceived that Christ will come secretly. This doctrine is known as a secret rapture. But he will even get people to think that he is in some place, some special place in the desert, or perhaps in some so-called holy place, or holy shrine somewhere, and they will go there and see him. People will flock to him. He will no doubt appear in popular places where people already think there is a special power of healing or divine intervention, such as Fatima in Portugal or Lourdes in France. What more masterful deception would there be than Satan himself clothed as an angel of light to come and claim to be Christ? While there are going to be many who will claim to be Christ, they cannot do what Satan can do to impersonate Christ as a glorious being, an angel of light. The Jesuits, for example, can only pretend to be followers of Christ. They can do some things that he did while on earth, and in the process deceive the multitudes and gain political power and influence. There will be one final deception, though, in which Satan himself will take the field and try to deceive the last remaining few who are faithful to Jesus, who obey his holy law and keep his Sabbath. By claiming to be Christ and doing great wonders or miracles like Christ when he was on earth in the eyes of the people, Satan will deceive the whole world into thinking that he is Christ. They will think that Christ has come. After all, he is so kind and so healing and so powerful. It must be Christ, they will think, because he is such a brilliant being. But the real target will be those who refuse to worship him. This deception will cause the enemies of Christ to turn on those who refuse to worship Satan as if they are traitors. They will persecute them. They will even kill some of them in the name of doing Christ's bidding. See Matthew 24, 8-10 and Revelation 13, 15. But in the meantime, he is working in similar ways, using similar tactics to deceive. He has his agents pretending to be apostles of Jesus, and they do good works. They wash and kiss the feet of AIDS patients or those on death row. They do an educational work that is superior to all others. They work their way into offices of state and influence the policy of nations. Right now, Satan is planning his moves carefully and stealthily making progress toward his goal. Eventually, he wants to either get everyone on his side against Christ or remove anyone who would otherwise stand in the way and remain loyal to Jesus. Listen to the Holy Scripture from Revelation 13, verse 7. Speaking of the beast power, or the papacy, it says, And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Let us think about this statement for a minute. This is speaking about a global earthly power that is influenced over multitudes, billions in fact. The papal power is doing all it can to deceive people into thinking that she is the real church and that all you need are her rituals for salvation. You don't need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You need form and ceremony. This earthly power will be given authority to, to make war against the saints, not the Catholic saints, but the true saints of God who will be upholding his law. That authority comes from God. It is God who gives the papacy the authority to overwhelm the people of God by her global power. The issues in the great controversy demand it. 
Satan will be permitted to work hand in hand with Rome to gain the supremacy of the whole world and require every nation, kindred, tongue, and people to worship him by observing Sunday as sacred instead of God's holy seventh-day Sabbath. Satan does not want anyone to worship God. He wants all to worship himself. So he has set up a false system of worship using human agents like priests and popes to deceive the people into thinking that they can break God's law and worship on his day instead of God's day of rest. Remember the core issue in the last days is over worship. You find this all through the Bible. Daniel was faced with this question of who to worship. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were faced with this question. The people in Israel at the time of Elijah were faced with this question. And there have been many others. So in the last days, God's true people, those who uphold his law, will be few and will become the target of Satan's wrath, as they always have. He has to set up a false day of worship, which millions of people obey. But overcoming the saints does not mean that they will succumb to his deceptions or worship in his way. God's true people will be overcome by persecution. Many will be in dungeons or hiding in caves or other remote places of the earth. But right now we can see that the enemy is building a system from which there is no escape. Recent revelations concerning the United States National Security Agency and those of the so-called Five Eyes, which include Canada, Britain, Australia, and New Zealand, in addition to the United States, have made it clear that the system being designed will be inescapable. The surveillance will be total. The oppression of God's people will be like the way in which whistleblower Edward Snowden has been treated by worldly governments. But this global system will be designed to put all of God's true people under a lot of pressure, those involved are not planning for this. They do not see the ultimate use or purpose of their magnificent digital tools, but Satan sees it and is finding ways to encourage them to build the infrastructure of total control, which he will turn one day against all of God's faithful people. If there is the possibility that he can force them or use the newly constructed total information structure to pressure them, to change their practice and yield to his demands, he will do it. This is the way Ahab and Jezebel treated the people in their day. They put so much pressure on God's messengers, which were the Bible workers from the schools of the prophets, that they even killed those who would not yield to their demands. And by the way, we will return to our study of Ahab and Jezebel and the man God used to bring down their false system of worship in the near future. It has incredible lessons for us today. In Psalm 94, there is a passage that should become familiar to you as you see world events unfolding. It is verses 20 and 21. Listen carefully to the words of Scripture. Shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with thee, which frameth mischief by a law? They gather themselves together against the soul of the righteous and condemn innocent blood. This verse is talking about the underhanded efforts of a secret coalition or a conspiracy, if you will, to create a law that will cause a lot of mischief for God's people, the righteous. Who are the righteous? These are they who keep and proclaim the righteousness of Christ. They demonstrate not only with their words but with their lives that they live by the righteousness of Christ. They uphold his law and live by it. They keep his Sabbath, which is at the center of God's Ten Commandment law. 
They love Christ with all their hearts, and they know that they cannot truly demonstrate their love for him unless they keep his Ten Commandments. They believe Jesus, who said, If ye love me, keep my commandments. And they put all their confidence in him. Put another way, they love him so much that they can't bear to live in any way that would dishonor him or that would disappoint him. Therefore they love to live by the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments, which were given by Christ himself on Mount Sinai. By the way, when Jesus said that there were two great commandments, he was referring to the love of God and the love toward our fellow man, which summarizes the Ten Commandments. He was not offering some new law in conflict with the law he gave on Mount Sinai. Friends, we're coming to the time when God's law is being trampled under the feet of most people. Movements in both society and in the churches teach us that man does not want to obey God. We naturally want to do our own thing, and we step out of the path of blessing. But it is more than just our natural desires or sinful nature that is in play here. It also involves a concerted effort on the part of the wicked principalities and powers of the unseen world, united with human agencies, to drive all mankind, both individually and collectively, to disobey God. If you can't be tempted by your own carnal nature to sin and disobey God's law, they will try to convince you that there are advantages to disobedience, like money, influence, power, and acceptance, etc. And if they cannot get you by the idea that you can gain advantage by sin, they will come to you with actual advantages. We could call them bribes. And if that still doesn't work, they'll threaten you with penalties and problems if you don't comply with their demands to disobey God. Moreover, when there are only a few left that haven't been bought or sold, when all but a few have stepped off the platform of righteousness, the enemy, using these agencies, will turn up the heat and they will issue a death penalty for disobedience. Here it is from Revelation 13:15, And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. So the death penalty will be imposed on those who do not worship according to the dictates of this sinister coalition. Those last few who will stand in defense of God's law, especially the Seventh-day Sabbath, will face death threats and even the legal death penalty. Note once again that the key issue is centered around worship. There are two worship laws in the Ten Commandments. Did you know that? It's true. There is one law that says that we are not to bow down to any graven image nor serve any other god. The other worship law in the Decalogue is the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. So one law says that we are not to worship images. The other says we are to remember to worship God on his sanctified and holy seventh day Sabbath. What is this silent conspiracy that is working to destroy those who honor God? Most people don't think deeply about what they see in the political or economic world, and they certainly don't think very deeply about what is happening in the religious world. But I tell you, friends, there is a global shift away from liberty and freedom to control and coercion. This is being orchestrated by Jesuit-educated men and women in the highest echelons of political structures, and most people see no danger. Those very same individuals or those like them will one day work to establish laws in, in harmony with Satan's plan. 
The rise of the Jesuits to political power in Australia, Europe, America, and certainly in other places is preparing the way for the last great attempt to rule the world. Once the population accepts the principles of the new world order, once moral objections to the loss of liberty are pushed aside, then the assault on the real target can begin in earnest. Here's another statement which you may know very well. It's found in the book Great Controversy, page 581. God's word has given warning of the impending danger. Let this be unheeded, and the Protestant world will learn what the purposes of Rome really are only when it's too late to escape the snare. That will certainly happen. She is silently growing into power. Her doctrines are exerting their influence in legislative halls, in the churches, and in the hearts of men. She is piling up her lofty and massive structures in the secret recesses of which her former persecutions will be repeated. Stealthily and unsuspectedly she is strengthening her forces to further her own ends when the time shall come for her to strike. All that she desires is vantage ground, and this is already being given her. We shall soon see and feel what the purpose of the Roman element is. Whoever shall believe and obey the word of God will thereby incur reproach and persecution. When Jorge Bergoglio was elected pope, he was trumpeted as the first Jesuit pope in history, setting off a global interest in the work of the Jesuits. The mass media has painted the Jesuits as doing very good work in education and social services or charity, and they are. But is that all they do? Listen to this from Great Controversy, page 235. When appearing as members of their order, the Jesuits wore a garb of sanctity, visiting prisons and hospitals, ministering to the sick and the poor, professing to have renounced the world, and bearing the sacred name of Jesus, who went about doing good. And this is exactly what Pope Francis does, too. He visits prisons, slums, and hospitals, and reaches out to the poor, disabled, and downtrodden. There are many Jesuits dedicated to this same work. They grasp how important this is to their image of Christ-like sanctity. But now listen to the rest of the statement. Under the blameless exterior, the most criminal and deadly purposes are often concealed. It is a fundamental principle of the order that the end justifies the means. By this code, lying, theft, perjury, assassination were not only pardonable but commendable when they served the interests of the church. So the history of the Jesuits is well documented and should be well known. Yet today there is much interest and enthusiasm for the Jesuits. It seems that most people have forgotten that there ever was a time when the Jesuits were banned from almost every country because of the evil work they did. I will continue reading. Under various disguises, the Jesuits worked their way into offices of state, climbing up to be counselors of kings and shaping the policy of nations. They became servants to act as spies upon their masters. They established colleges for the sons of princes and nobles and schools for the common people, and the children of Protestant parents were drawn into an observance of popish rites. The Jesuits rapidly spread themselves over Europe, and wherever they went, there followed a revival of popery. Do you think that's also happening today in Protestant America and the British Commonwealth nations from which English-speaking Protestantism sprang? Of course it is. You can be sure that the Jesuit order has not changed. In spite of their suggestion that the new political reality involving Jesuit-educated men in various nations just happened by coincidence, thinking men and women, and those in particular who are familiar with prophecy, know that this is not likely the case. 
the simultaneous rise of Jesuit-trained men in Australia did not just happen. As one Jesuit said, it's a consequence of history. But it is also a consequence of the well-laid plan to guide the nations into the bosom of Rome and to use them to enforce an international or global Sunday law one day soon. The kingdoms of this earth are confederating together to oppose God and his law. They're building a global governance and a superstructure of control in the hands of fewer and fewer men. This is dramatically changing the way the world works, but it is also laying the foundation for religious control too, and the Jesuits are obviously involved in it. That is why the Bible says that power is given unto the beast. Revelation 13 verse 7, over all kindreds and tongues and nations. There is only one religious power on earth that has the global reach that meets this description. That's talking specifically about the Vatican or the papacy. And verse 8 tells us that this power will require all that dwell upon the earth to worship him. This is the purpose of the Jesuit order in training men and women so well, and with the Jesuit intellect and mindset, that they can rise to power in political ways and influence the trajectory of nations toward their goal. Friends, the rise of Jesuit-educated men in the top of both sides of the political system in Australia reveals that while men have been unaware of it, the Jesuits have gained considerable control and influence. This is just what the Bible said they would do. And it tells us that we are near the second coming of Christ. And as we see more and more of these types of things develop in our time, we can understand that we must prepare our lives for the final conflict and the final test of our faith. I hope you're doing just that. I hope you are cementing your relationship with Christ so firmly that you are on solid rock. I hope you are studying your Bible every day so that you are settling into the truth, both intellectually and spiritually, so that you cannot be moved. You have to if you want the seal of God on your forehead. Your salvation depends on it. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, Thank you for revealing how prophecy is being fulfilled in our time. Thank you for showing us the stealthy and steady movements of the enemy. You are in control. They can only do what you give them permission to do. And we pray that your truth will reside in our hearts today. May we search the scriptures and watch as Jesus told us to do, so that we may be overcomers and live for Christ in everything we do. We do not fear these things, but we realize that they exist and are a warning to us. Please mature our experience with Christ, so that we will be ready to stand before the Son of Man when He comes. Mature our faith, so that we will be faithful to the end of time. For he that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Dark mid
We hope you've been greatly blessed by this month's message. Your prayers and gifts mean much to us. Thank you for your support. The song you have just heard is called Give Me Jesus, sung by Christian Berdahl. It is recorded on a CD with other beautiful hymns called Consecration. This beautiful CD is available from Keep the Faith Ministry. If you would like to have a copy of this CD or copies for your friends or family, just send $16 each, postpaid to U.S. addresses, to cover the cost, and we will gladly send them. Please mention the Consecration CD. Our international listeners should send $20 USD. The following is our monthly prophetic intelligence briefing, a feature that brings you current events in light of Bible prophecy, especially for those who love the appearing of Jesus Christ. We can see the signs of the times telling us that we are nearing the world's great crisis. May the Lord find us faithful. Our first item this month, polyamory, the next marriage frontier. 
Polyamory, having simultaneous close emotional and sexual relationships with two or more individuals, is increasingly being profiled as acceptable, especially since same-sex marriage has become increasingly normal in Western societies. The polyamorous relationships may be straight, gay, lesbian, or bisexual, but having multiple stable partners is difficult to achieve. According to the poly subculture, this is not about swinging, cheating, or kinky sex. It's not just a fling or a phrase to them. It's an identity. They want to show that polyamory can be a viable alternative to monogamy, even for middle-class suburban families with children, jobs, and house notes. Instead of following the Bible principles of marriage, they are trying to promote the idea that everyone has the right to develop a relationship structure that works for them. Polyamorists admit that it's not for everyone. It takes a lot of work dealing with jealousy and other emotions and problems related to having multiple partners. They also face disapproval of neighbors, family, and co-workers. So, like the LGBT community, of which this is yet another variation, they want identity and recognition and ultimately acceptance. They want to change their status quo, so some have started to talk to the media, march in parades, and praise the idea of being poly as an acceptable social behavior. Someday they want to challenge laws that criminalize adultery and cohabitation. We want to promote the idea that any relationship is valid as long as it's a choice made by consenting adults, said one polyamorist. In this regard, and as in most things, promoting public acceptance is the first step. End quote. And they try to make it sound good. Polyamory is the non-possessive, honest, responsible, and ethical philosophy and practice of loving multiple people simultaneously, said a brochure supporting polyamory. Polyamory is not a swing club or group. Polyamory is not about recreational or promiscuous sex. Otherwise, there are no universal rules for how it works. Uh, one question. God gave rules for stable families. If man can change them, where does that end? Why can't they be changed again and again? Will the rule changing end with polyamory? Will that be the last frontier? Or will something else even more out there on the edge take its place? Most polyamorous people are not open about their multiple relationships, but with the LGBT movement making huge strides in Western nations, this will surely increase the profile of these types of relationships, too. Many poly people stay closeted out of fear of discrimination, social alienation, or because they simply prefer privacy, say some sociologists. Though admitting that polyamory can be a disaster, like many monogamous relationships, these group relationships can be a legitimate form of providing excellent nurturing for children, they say. But while some evolutionary scientists say that monogamy is probably not humans' natural state, many therapists say learning to control sexual impulses toward multiple people is a hallmark of emotional maturity. Often non-monogamy destroys relationships because instead of focusing on the primary relationship, partners turn to others for fulfillment. It is a choice to be with someone else instead of being attentive to your spouse when the relationship is troubled. Polyamorous relationships, say counselors, rarely work out well for everyone. 
It has been shown to be damaging and destructive to a person as an individual, to the couple's relationship, and the family unit as a whole, said one therapist. No one has done studies on the effect polyamory has on children brought up in that kind of an environment. But television is exploring and promoting the concept with shows like Polyamory, Married and Dating, and Sister Wives. So the boundaries are again being removed before there is any understanding of the potential damage it can do. Will polyamorists soon demand marriage licenses and legal adoption rights, among other things? The U.S. Supreme Court's ruling on same-sex marriage benefits is seen among polys as a sign that society is becoming more accepting of alternative relationships to monogamy. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. Genesis 6.12 As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. Luke 17.26 Next. Los Angeles School District Ally Program Promotes Gay Lifestyle In October, Los Angeles teachers for the Unified School District began wearing rainbow badges that proclaim they are allies of homosexual students and others who have chosen alternative lifestyles. In the name of protecting them from abuse, the school district is actually promoting the normalization of LGBT lifestyles among children. The Out for Safe Schools initiative was designed to coincide with the National Coming Out Day on October 11. The initiative was jointly announced by the Los Angeles Gay and Lesbian Center and the school district. The badges that teachers and staff members are encouraged to wear identifies them as allies of gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender students. We want all our youth and staff to know that it is a safe place to be you in LAUSD. Superintendent Don Deasy said in announcing the initiative. And while verbal and physical abuse is wrong, LGBT organizations and the school district are seizing the opportunity to mute even reasonable voices that oppose gay lifestyle. As it was in the days of Lot. Luke 17:28. Next, Pope Francis invited to address the EU Parliament. Martin Schultz, President of the European Parliament, went to Rome to visit the Pope on October 11, 2013. After the audience, a smiling Schultz said, It was an honor and a pleasure for me to be received by Pope Francis today. His words were both inspiring and thought-provoking. Schultz also extended an invitation to Pope Francis to address the plenary session of the Parliament. Martin Schultz and the European Parliament wonder after. Revelation 13, verse 4. Next, China, the European Union, sign a $57 billion currency swap agreement, aiming to make the U.S. dollar as the world's reserve currency redundant. China's central bank, the People's Bank of China, or the PBC, inked a three-year currency swap agreement with the European Central Bank, the ECB, worth 350 billion yuan, or USD $57 billion. The swap arrangement has been established in the context of rapidly growing bilateral trade and investment between the euro area and China, as well as the need to ensure the stability of financial markets, said the ECB. The foundation for the currency swap agreement is a $1.3 billion per day trade between Europe and China. 
the swap will exist as a backstop liquidity facility for all Eurozone national central banks. In other words, China is willing to help fund European economic stability. This will give it considerable clout in trade and commerce negotiations. The European Commission is also planning to negotiate an investment agreement with China that could pave the way for a free trade agreement between the two entities. Meanwhile, China's official news agency, Xinhua, heaped criticism and caustic ridicule on Washington for its political standoff over the budget and debt ceiling and called for the creation of a de-Americanized world, saying that the destiny of people should not be left in the hands of a hypocritical nation with a dysfunctional government. The stalemate in Washington at the time was affecting China's dollar-denominated investments in various types. China is the biggest foreign owner of U.S. treasuries. And the paper also called for an end to the use of the U.S. dollar as the international reserve currency, which would reduce exposure to the U.S. dollar. China aims to make the yuan a powerful economic force and to challenge the U.S. dollar for a larger share of the economic pie. The U.S., for its part, will eventually lose its standing as the world's reserve currency, which will bring greater economic troubles. This is not the first deal that China has made between um, itself and other nations. It also inked a deal last year with Australia in the same vein. There are not many, even among educators and statesmen, who comprehend the causes that underlie the present state of society. Those who hold the reins of government are not able to solve the problem of moral corruption, poverty, pauperism, and increasing crime. They are struggling in vain to place business operations on a more secure basis. If men would give more heed to the teachings of God's word, they would find a solution of the problems that perplex them. That's Testimonies for the Church, Volume 9, page 13. Next, Vatican Bank Closing Accounts. The Vatican Bank, known as the Institute for Works of Religion, or the IOR, has been anything but works for, of religion. With a long history of scandal, including numbered accounts for prominent politicians, stock manipulation, connections to the mafia, shady dealings and money laundering, the Vatican Bank has been under scrutiny by the Italian authorities as well as Moneyval, the agency charged with determining which banks have the appropriate checks in place to prevent money laundering and terrorism financing. Now under the shadow of St. Peter's Basilica, the IOR is closing nearly 1,000 accounts that are clearly not supposed to exist and appear to be suspicious. I am convinced that we are a well-managed, clean financial institution, said Ernst von Freiburg, its newly minted president, appointed by Pope Benedict XVI. I thought I would primarily have to do what is generally known as cleanup, Freiburg added, but I haven't as yet discovered anything amiss. But he and other executives had to quickly change their minds when auditors harshly criticized the managers. By the time an independent auditing group that specializes in tracing irregularities like corruption and money laundering combed through 30,000 accounts, Freyberg had to admit that a large number of individuals who actually shouldn't be allowed to have accounts at the Vatican Bank highly appreciate its discreet business practices. Pope Francis is trying to clean up the bank's image 
by changing its strategy and moving away from its absolute discretion, secrecy, and protection from criminal prosecution toward more integrity and transparency. There is no tax in the Vatican State, so these accounts have all been protected from taxation. In fact, it is hardly any different than any other tax haven like the Cayman Islands, for instance. In essence, the Vatican Bank has become an offshore paradise on the shores of the Tiber, said one observer. In the approximately 1,000 accounts that have been identified as suspicious, insiders have said that over 300 million euros, or $407 million, was still on these accounts this past summer. Most of this appears to be illicit earnings. Now those customers will have to transfer their money elsewhere. But these problems are only on the surface. Church dignitaries are also known for making astonishing transactions in their own accounts. Recent discovery of misconduct has made it clear that even some church leaders are brazen in their attempts to assist with shady deals. In other words, by cleaning up certain aspects of the IRR, there are still many ways in which clergy can handle money of less than transparent origins for less than acceptable purposes, such as money laundering. Don't expect that the changes taking place will actually clean up the bank. It will only change the way it's done. The Bible says that the church state, or woman, has a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. Revelation 17, verse 4. That golden cup suggests wealth and money. No matter how much Pope Francis may try to reform the bank, the scandals won't come to an end. They may go underground, but the Bible declares the true condition of the church. Next, Germany rising. We must not think we can be protected from political, economic, ecological, and military conflicts if we do not participate in their resolution, said German President Joachim Gauch on the 23rd anniversary of Germany's reunification. I cannot imagine Germany making itself big by dictating its conduct to others, but I also cannot imagine Germany making itself small to avoid taking risks and solidarity. The reunification of Germany was the foundation for Germany to rise again as a powerful nation on the geopolitical field. If the Vatican is ever going to regain control of Europe, if ever the Holy Roman Empire is going to rise again, as predicted in Bible prophecy, Germany must be strong. The European Union has been the cradle for Germany to strengthen and grow her power. Now she dominates Europe and European agendas. Gauck was especially referring to its military might. He further pointed out that Berlin should not neglect its responsibilities with regard to its Eastern European neighbors, the nations of the Middle East, and North Africa. Germany, with the Eurozone's most powerful economy, has been steering Europe through its debt crisis for the last four years. The United States is pushing Germany to take a greater role, too. There is a lot of frustration in Washington with Germany's reluctance to take on a bigger role in international security affairs in particular, said Chris Chivas, a political scientist at the global policy think tank Rand Corporation. Our country is not an island, Gauck said. Germany has a mixed record of supporting armed conflicts, but Germany is rebuilding its military might as well as its geopolitical power. Germany is also working closely with the Vatican to rebuild Europe under papal principles. 
Perhaps Germany will be the key player in the end-time prophecy in which all the world will wonder after the beast. Revelation 13, verse 4. Unfortunately, our time is up. Remember, there are more prophetic intelligence briefings on our website at www.ktfministry.org. It has been a great pleasure to spend this time with you. I hope you have been encouraged to live for Jesus, for we are near the end. Remember that God has a plan for your life and that right now you can make a new start with Jesus. Thank you for your prayers and support. And until next time, may God bless and keep you and your family in his loving and protecting care. Keep the faith.